Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Praise God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? So for the past week, I would say, I've been really struggling late at night with going to sleep. A fear has been on me, and it's not a physical fear, but a spiritual fear. And I've just been praying and seeking the Lord and speaking scripture and not understanding what's going on. And I felt like last night God was telling me, I'm teaching you how to pray. There's a time coming where you are going to have to pray so hard, and you, I have to build you up, and you need to do this with other people. Prayer is so important in what we're going to, and I just felt it again today. That prayer is just really God is pressing in my heart. Like, I can't close my eyes. He just, he, like, I was up almost all night, and he's just praying, pray, pray. That's what I was getting. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. I agree. Very important in this time that we learn and be strengthened and built up. Absolutely. Our portion is Vayela, okay? But I'm sorry. Thank you. I have a reminder. I was already like ready to jump right in just from the, the words we were hearing. But we're going to take a pause like we do every week and read Psalm 119. <laughs> and I probably try to skip it at least once a month. So this, this is good. <laughs> right on track. <laughs> Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your Torah. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The Torah from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. So uh, when you read verse 71, how many people are like, yes! It was good that I would be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. That's not what we like to think of, right? But that is very much in line with what Rachel was talking about, with the need for us to learn to pray fervently, to learn to lean on the Lord, to learn the fear of the Lord. That's part of what we'll read in our, in our portion today in Vayelech, um, when Moses talks about the seven-year cycle of reading the Torah before everyone. He, he says that the purpose is to learn the fear of the Lord, right? To hear his word and to learn to fear him. And I guess we'll go ahead and talk about that a little bit. So, it's at, at the end of seven years, at the end of the sab- sabbatical year, we go into, so the seventh year is completed, the seventh year when all the fields lay fallow, they, no one is planting or harvesting. It's the year that the land gets to rest, and the children of Israel see that God is their provider, that he's the one who's sovereign over all nature. He's, you know, he gives them all their provision. And that year, they, they did no work, and they shared all, everything that came forth from the ground naturally with all their neighbors. After that year is complete, then they come together in the festival of Sukkot 
and the Torah is read, speaking of the book of Deuteronomy, is read before all of the people. And at this time, it's everyone is supposed to be there. Uh, parents, children, the stranger who dwells among. And the scripture specifically says it will be so that you will learn to fear the Lord. This comes after having spent a whole year just relying on the Lord. Does that make sense? So it's the aspect of saying, okay, Lord, I'm surrendering, surrendering all to you. I'm going to follow your words. I'm going to trust you for your provision. And then I'm going to hear your word again to gear myself up for this next seven years. Now, lucky, luckily for us, we don't have to wait seven years to hear the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> you know, it's very accessible to us. But in that day, it, you didn't have Torah scrolls all spread throughout uh, every household. Certainly the word was taught, right? But there was this additional call to go and hear the word of the Lord so that we might learn to fear him. And the fear of the Lord is its awe and reverence of who he is. It's respect of who he is as this transcendent one who created the heavens and the earth, who causes the ground to produce, who gives us a shield and protection. And so, so many times in our lives, we look to ourselves as our source, as we who could control things and bring about our own protection, our own provision. But ultimately, it all rests in his hands. And when times get difficult, we learn even more that we're to trust in Him, right? And today is September 11th. It's the 20th anniversary of the attack on the, uh, well, the attack that took down the World Trade Center, uh, struck the Pentagon, and also the, the, the people on the fourth flight that landed in the uh, fields of Pennsylvania. And it's a day, it's a memorial day of, and it's a, really, I mean, it's a day of, of grieving in, in various aspects because of the loss of life that occurred at that time, but then also those who are still currently afflicted in their bodies from what they took on as they went to go and to rescue people, right? As they breathed in the asbestos and all the other debris that was in the air, and then the, the emotional scars that people have borne. It was, it's a, a day of great tragedy uh, from that aspect of these personal loss. But in addition, it's a, a great tragedy and the loss that we have had as a nation. You know, right after September 11th, what you saw was the country really coming together and standing as brothers. It was a time of unity in the, in the face of that affliction. But now 20 years later, is there any trace of that left? That was the beginning of a great tragedy for the nation with the loss of civil, civil liberties and privacy and takeover of really uh, <clears throat> the beginning of totalitarian type activities. Right? And this, you know, this has been a difficult month this past month with what went on in Afghanistan, right? The loss of life there the failure of our government to actually care for its people or to care for the people of other nations as well or to even uphold its word or responsibility to other nations. And then this week, to add insult to it all, 
you have the Biden administration talking about taking away people's civil liberties and ability to choose what they're going to do with their, with their bodies with relation to a vaccine. The government is choosing who is able to provide for their families and who is not. This is a precursor to the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast, but it is preparing the way, trying to condition people to the idea that the government or someone who's in charge can tell us who can buy and who can sell. I didn't plan to go into this part yet. <laughs> but I tell you what, this is no longer an administration, it's a regime. Okay? And the thing is, it looks like a dark future when you see the direction that it's heading. But I feel like the message today, despite all of this, is that things can change. Okay? So I'm not here to preach doom and gloom, but we are facing a reality that we do have darkness in the days ahead. Right now, we're in the days of awe. In 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that are a wake-up call for repentance. It's a wake-up call to individuals, and it's a wake-up call to the nation as well. Now, on Rosh Hashanah, the book of life, the book of death, and the book of in-between are opened, and the names of the righteous are written into the book of life, the names of the unrighteous are written into the book of death, and then there are those who are in-between. So we have these 10 days of amending our ways, changing our ways, such that decrees of death can be switched to, to decrees of life. Okay? And so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about repentance to start out. There were seven, according to the Talmud, there were seven things created before the, before the world. And the seven were the Torah, repentance, the Garden of Eden, Gehenna, the Throne of Glory, the Temple, and the name of the Messiah. Now, there's, <clears throat> there's a basis for how each of these, well, reading in the scriptures, you can say, okay, well, here's where the scripture speaks of the Torah being before the creation and so forth. And that's where all this is derived from. But if you notice, the second thing mentioned was repentance. And within the Talmud, it's written, the concept of repentance was created in recognition that to err is human, and hence, if man falls, there is the opportunity to rise again. Okay? And then it goes on and it talks about uh, the goal of creation is that the kingdom of God, represented by the temple, shall be established on earth as it is in heaven. And that the name of Messiah was established beforehand as an assurance that God's purpose will ultimately be achieved. God's purpose will ultimately be achieved. <laughs> and part of His purpose is that His Torah would go forth, that people would repent, that they would enter into Gan Eden, that they would enter into a life and see His kingdom flourish upon the earth, that the restoration of all things would, be, would take place and that His Messiah would rule over all the earth. So as we're going to talk about repentance, let's go and read in Joel 2, 12 through 14. <clears throat> Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. God calls those who have strayed to repent, to rend their heart and not their garments, right? Just like we've read recently in Deuteronomy 30 about circumcise your hearts, right? Turning your heart fully to him. Now, you know, the scripture says, rend your heart and not your garments. I mean, the rending of garments is totally fine too, right? <laughs> it's just that in comparison, the true repentance, the true rending needs to incur within us such that then it, will out, well, then it will flow to the outward. If all we do is go and rend our garments and continue to walk in evil ways, there has not been repentance. Repentance begins inside and it flows to the outside. So that's it. We rend our hearts and not our garments and we look for a true change. And this repentance can change evil decrees. We could say evil decrees. Let's say evil decrees. There, there are just decrees right, that look like evil in the eyes of many men because we look at things as the world sees. But God sees the decrees of justice as a redemption, as a uh, thwarting of wickedness and bringing back reconciliation between God and man. In Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10, the scripture says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. Okay, this very much parallels the book of life and the book of death. The books are opened at Rosh Hashanah, but they're not sealed until Yom Kippur because there's still time for the wicked to repent or for the good to choose evil. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> right? But, you know, there, there's, I know of no uh, case where there's a book of life and death for nations, but I see a parallel between the two. And given that the books are opened at Rosh Hashanah, they're sealed at Yom Kippur, and we're in this time of having an opportunity to amend our ways. The opportunity for a nation to amend its ways still exists. Now, the rabbis teach uh, the power of repentance. And those who follow Yeshua certainly do as well, right? And one of the great examples that's provided in the Bible is the power of repentance in the life of Jeconiah who was the king when the Babylonian uh, captivity began. Now for those who were in Torah club uh, last fall this, this story is going to sound familiar because we did go over it uh, back then but it's been almost a year and a lot of things are forgotten in the course of a year so we're going to go back through and we're going to talk about the story of Jeconiah. Because the story of Jeconiah, well, it's, it's, it's pertinent in many ways because it does give us a great picture of redemption or of repentance and its power, but it also helps us to understand how the lineage of Yeshua works. So if we were to 
Let's first go read in Jeremiah 22, verse 24 through 30, and we'll see what the Lord spoke about Jeconiah. Now, there's, a few thi- there's one thing that's important to know before we go and read all these scriptures about Jeconiah, because the Bible refers to Jeconiah by three names. Jeconiah, Coniah, right? And then also Jehoiakim. Okay, so there's three names. It's all the same person. I can show you in the scriptures sometime, but we're not going to necessarily prove that right now. You'll just have to trust me and then verify it later. Okay, but don't just take my word for it. By all means, go read. Uh, but okay, so here in Jeremiah 22, 24 through 30, this is speaking of, of this king we're talking about. As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return." Is this man, Coniah, a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. That does not sound like a good pronouncement for Jeconiah, right? But that is what the Lord spoke of him, saying that he was going to be taken into captivity. He would not prosper. He would not have children, and he would not have any offspring to sit on the throne of David or rule over Judah ever again. Okay, so if we go and look, let's go and look at Matthew 1, verse 12. This is in the middle of the lineage of Yeshua. The scripture says, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Right there in verse 12, we have a problem, right? Because it says, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. But the scripture said that he was going to be taken away and that he would be childless. Interesting, right? And so then it goes on, of course, to verse 16. We'll skip a few generations here. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Yeshua was born, who is called the Messiah. So right there, smack dab in the middle of the lineage of Yeshua is Jeconiah, this one who was cursed and was said would not have anyone who would sit on the throne of David but yet Yeshua is the son of David who is the one who will sit upon the throne and whose kingdom will know no end of its increase, right? So we have a problem, and it's how is it that, the, that this curse that the Lord spoke of uh, Jeconiah would be convert... Uh, I've seen there which name do I pick. Jeconiah would be reversed, right? And so the... the now, it's not because of this scripture that the rabbis say that Jeconiah repented. It's because of other scriptures. So we'll take a look at those. Now, 
knowing that the, the idea of his repentance and the reversing of the curse is important for us to be able to say, okay, this lineage of Yeshua stands as a testament to his validity as a descendant of King David. But okay, if we go through and look at this, we had the three items. Childless will not prosper in his days, and none of his descendants will sit on the throne of David nor rule again in Judah. Okay? For, to the issue of him being childless, in First Chronicles 3, 16 through 18, we have essentially a mirror of what we read in Matthew 1, 12. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconiah his son, Zedekiah his son. The sons of Jeconiah, the prisoner, were Shealtiel his son, and Machiram. I'm not going to read all the names. Let's skip over that part. But you see here, in, in 1 Chronicles 3, 16 through 18, it's a, very much a parallel. The sons of Jeconiah, who was the prisoner taken to Babylon, his, sons were, his son was Shealtiel. And then from him, Zerubbabel, from Matthew 1. All right, so the, the pronouncement that he would be childless did not stand. The next, number two, was that he would not prosper in his, in his days. But in Jeremiah 52, we see a different story. Okay, Jeremiah 52, starting in verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, uh, and on the 25th day of the month, Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And he, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the days of his death as long as he, as long as he lived. I would call that prospering. Right? He was in prison for a long time. Don't get me wrong. But then he was brought up out of prison and given a high seat and given great provision. So I would say that he, he did prosper. Now the next part, with none of his descendants will sit on the throne of David or rule again in Judah. That really has two parts. Not sitting on the throne of David and not ruling again in Judah. And I believe that part B has been addressed, but part A, the sitting on the throne of David, that one yet remains to be fulfilled but will be. Uh, part B, if we look in Haggai 2.2, Zerubbabel was ruling as a governor in Judah at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. And Haggai 2.2 says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. Okay, so here at this time, Zerubbabel is serving as governor over Judah. So here he is ruling again in Judah. Right? That's the place of a governor, to rule. Now he's not sitting as king, but he is ruling and that is one of Jeconiah's descendants. Now we'll come back to the part A of sitting on the throne of, of having someone sit as king on the throne of David. But another item that demonstrates that God did reverse the curse and we're not just picking up a few things and trying to make up a, a story here. In Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-four, 
Right? We look back and the scripture had said, As I live, declares the Lord, even though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. So he's like, I will take, I will take that signet, off and I, signet ring off and I will cast it away. Well, back in Haggai 2.23, okay, the Lord is speaking to Zerubbabel, who is the governor over Judah at this time. He says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. So even though he swore to, God was saying, I'm going to cast off Jeconiah, even though he were a signet ring, now he takes Jeconiah's offspring and says, I will make you like a signet ring. There's a, there's a restoration taking place there. Okay? You like that, right? I mean, and see, this is the thing. The decree was very clear about what the future was for Jeconiah. And it began to play out. He was taken into captivity. Him and all his, you know, his relatives were taken into captivity. He was thrown in prison. He was in prison for 37 years, right? It was in the 37th year of the exile that when he was brought up out of prison. I don't know when he had his children, okay? But regardless, the curse was, was carrying out. But that didn't mean it was going to continue to completion because, well, we believe that he repented because why else would God reverse this curse to bring forth from him good and the exact opposite of what God said would take place for his life. And then we have the, you know, from Matthew, we see that his line continued on all the way down until the Messiah came forth. Right? And the Messiah is the son of David who is the rightful king who will sit on the throne of David and he will return, right? As, in, as it says in Isaiah 9, right? Um, Isaiah 9, I'm kind of jumping around messing with you here, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy probably has the hardest job in the room. <laughs> and uh, the scripture says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government... Is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And you read that last verse, right? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, that harkens back to what we talked about. God's will will be accomplished on the earth, right? The name of the Messiah was before all creation as a demonstration that the, the will of the Lord will be done. Now, you know, when we look at the lineage of Yeshua, we, we look and we see, wow, look at all the people that God has used through the course of time in the pathway of the Messiah. And we look and we see Rahab the harlot in there. We say, wow, someone who is a, a harlot could actually repent and come and be a part of the line of Messiah, right? King David could actually do the atrocities that he did, yet repent and be restored, right? And still move with the heart of God. And we, we look at these things and we wonder, right? And we look at Naomi and Ruth. Actually, Ruth. Yeah, Naomi was the mom. But we look at Ruth, and we see that she came in. She was part of the story, right? But we often miss Jeconiah being in that list. 
Because we should marvel too that one who was cursed and cast off where the line should have ended was redeemed and restored such that he could actually carry out the intentions and plan that God had for his life. Because God knew the plans that he had for him. But he needed to bring Jeconiah through affliction so that Jeconiah could come to the point of repentance and that God's will could be done through him. And it was, right? So the fact that we go through affliction, the fact that our nation can be at the place where it is, is not the end, right? It is not the end because things can change. And it starts with the repentance within the house of God, within those who trust in the name of God, who have to learn fear of the Lord and to walk in His ways and bring repentance and righteousness and justice. Now Yeshua, as we said, He is the one who will rule and reign from Jerusalem. He's the one who brings about what is true reconciliation. Right? And it's through Him that we receive forgiveness. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17... The scriptures speak about this reconciliation that we have through him. Where it says, If anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Messiah reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself. He's reconciling the world and man to himself. And through this, through the work of Yeshua, he takes our, all of our sins and he casts them into the depths of the sea, right? Back on Rosh Hashanah, we went out and performed Tashlik, right? We prayed our repentance and we threw the breadcrumbs into the water. The breadcrumbs into the water gives a picture of what the spiritual reality is of repentance, right? Where God casts our sins into the sea. In Micah 7, 18, Scripture says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Mm. So we have a hope, we have a future, right? And God is calling out to us in His love to draw us to Him. You know, earlier we were talking about what's taking place in this country. And, and I was struck by the timing of when Joe Biden's announcement was on, on Thursday, September 9th. Thursday, September 9th, was a really special day. But, um, <laughs> inside joke, come on guys, come on. No, but, um, super, special. super special, I mean, really important. But, now, September 9th is the ninth day of the ninth month. Does anybody know what the number nine stands for? Judgment, judgment. yes, it stands for judgment. So, and then two nines together, 
well, that's not, that's not a good thing, <laughs> okay? So, but, but on the ninth day of the ninth month, you see judgment coming in. The other thing is, it was the fast of Gedalia, right? The fast of Gedalia, which is a minor fast day, and it recalls the assassination of, um, of Gedaliah, who was left in charge of Judah, after the Babylonian captivity, okay? And it's a day of mourning, but it's a day of mourning. It's, it's really interesting because it's often kind of overlooked in a lot of ways. I mean, it's right here in the midst of everything going on. We have Rosh Hashanah, we have the 10 days of awe, we have the day of atonement, we gotta get ready for Sukkot, you gotta get our Sukkah supplies. And then right there in the middle, we've got this fast of Gedali, but it's a minor fast, we don't really know much about it but it's really significant. It's really significant um, for, for multiple reasons. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm like, we have some time here. We're, we're doing okay. What's that? The clock's fast. Yeah, you're right, the clock's fast. So, you know, all right, so here we are, we're talking about Jeremiah, we're talking about the Babylonian captivity, the repentance of Jeconiah. Well, at the same time, when the Babylonian captivity took place, Nebuchadnezzar did not take away all of the children of Israel. He left the poorest of the poor to take care of the, the, vine, the vineyards and take care of the land. And then he put Gedaliah as a ruler over them. So this was a time of darkness for the nation, right? They had just experienced the destruction of the temple. They had just seen the loss of all their leadership right? And the, the uh, exile of the majority of their citizens. But then there was one person, Gedaliah, who was a righteous man who was left. And at that time, with him bringing things together, there were some people who were coming back to the land. Okay, so there was actually a hope for some well-being. But it didn't last. It didn't last because one of his brothers, not like his brother within his family, but one of his own kinsmen, right, being of, of, the, uh, of the line of David, really, came and assassinated him. So I don't have this in our, our slides because I didn't know how much time we would have today. But we'll talk some about what took place. So Jeremiah was allowed to return. They began to take him into captivity, but then he was released to be able to go back. To the land. And in Jeremiah 40, what are we going to go to, to to read? So in Jeremiah 40, people came and warned Gedaliah that he was going to be assassinated. Um, okay, so in Jeremiah 40, verse 12, I'll start there. Then all the Jews returned from all the places which they had been driven away and came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and, the, and gathered in wine and summer fruit in great abundance. Now, now, Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were in the field came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Are you well aware that the Baalis, the king of the sons of Ammon, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to take your life? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, did not believe them, 
Then Yohanan the son of Korea spoke secretly to Gedaliah and Mizpah, saying, Let me go and kill Ishmael the son of Nathaniah, and not a man will know. Why should he take your life so that all the Jews who are gathered to you should be scattered and the remnant of Judah perish? But Gedaliah the son of Ahikam said to Yohanan the son of Korea, Do not do this thing, for you are telling a lie about Ishmael. So he was warned that, that there was an assassin coming, but he wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe ill of his brother. And then he also would not allow this person to go and kill secretly this assassin, right? Because you come to him publicly and you say, hey, someone's coming to kill you. Can I go take care of him for you? And you're like, can we talk about this over there? <laughs> but he says no, right? So then the guy says, well, let me come to you secretly, okay? We can do this in private. No one needs to know that you were a part of this, but we need to do this to preserve you and protect you. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. I don't believe Ishmael will act with wickedness toward me. So now it came about in the seventh month, it is in continuing in Jeremiah 41. Now it came about in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, and one of the chief officers of the king, along with ten men, came to Mizpah to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And they, and they were eating bread together there in Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him arose and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and, and put to death the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, with Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. Now it happened on the next day, after the killing of Gedaliah, when no one knew about it, the 80 men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria with their beards shaved off and their clothes torn and their bodies gashed, having grain offerings and incense in their hands to bring to the house of the Lord. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went. And it came about as he met them that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Yet it turned out that as soon as they came inside the city, Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and the men that were with him slaughtered them and cast them into the cistern. Okay? And the story goes on. Ishmael ends up escaping. And then after his escape, those who were left, who survived, went to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, ask of the Lord what we should do. You know, and whatever the Lord says we should do, we're going to do that. So after 10 days, Jeremiah comes back and says, okay, here's the word of the Lord. The Lord says that if you will stay here, then he will bless you and establish you. Okay? Um, let me see if I can actually find this. 42.7? Thank you. Now, yeah, here we go. 42.7, thank you. Now it came about at the end of 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called for Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, and for all the people, both small and great. And he said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down, and I will plant you and not uproot you, for I shall relent concerning the calamity that I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion, so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. 
But if you are going to say, we will not stay in this land so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall not see war or hear the sound of trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there, then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you really set your mind to enter Egypt and go in it to reside, reside there, then it will come about that the sword, which you are afraid of, will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And it goes on to speak of famine and how they will actually have destruction and die in Egypt. God was saying, you know, fleeing to Egypt, that's not life. That's exile. You're here in the land. If you will listen to my voice, I will establish you and I will give you victory over those who seek to rule over you or to persecute you, right? But they didn't listen. They believed that Jeremiah was lying to them. And they actually said that. They said, we, we think you're lying to us. So we're going to Egypt. So they all went to Egypt. Jeremiah included, Right? And so that's really unfortunate, right? <laughs> Certainly not the way that uh, things should have gone. But right away, God was going to begin to rebuild the remnant. You know, then it was 70 years before the decree came that the temple should be rebuilt. Um, but anyway, at this point, you have many parallels that were written here in Jeremiah to the whole story of Jacob. Interestingly enough, and uh, Aleph Beta does a really good job of, of sharing what happened and, and how, how this is paralleling this. But there's a few connections just off the top of my head, right? So you had someone who was, who was the favored person who was then betrayed by ten brothers who sat to eat bread with one another. Because that's what it says of, of Ishmael. He sat down with his ten men and they ate bread. Then they came and they slew Gedaliah. And they threw, they threw all these people they killed into a pit. And it said that a cistern, it's a pit, the same exact word that was used of what Joseph was thrown into. Okay? The people who came and were slaughtered came from Shechem and Samaria, right in the same area where Joseph went to encounter his brothers. What then happened? You had people who were weeping and Ishmael goes out shedding false tears to them and saying, here, come to Gedaliah, who I've just killed, right? Bring them into a trap, just as the ten brothers of Joseph brought Joseph's cloak to Jacob and said, look here, and Joseph wept, right, over his son Joseph. Jacob wept over his son Joseph. And then what ensued is the, well, I mean, the brothers had sold Joseph, right? And he was taken down to Egypt, but who did they sell him to? Ishmaelites. And Ishmael is the one who killed Gedaliah. Interesting, right? And again, both, both times going to Egypt where there would be an exile. So there's, there's a real parallel here between the story of Gedaliah and what took place with him and the story of Joseph. And that it was really a, a repeat of what had taken place so long ago where brothers betrayed brothers. They didn't see each other as family but as enemies. And so, here on this day, when the President of the United States stands up and seeks to put brother against brother, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, is the very day that we're mourning brothers rising up against brothers, which results in exile and destruction and death. 
which is actually a, a day of mourning that recalls the betrayal of Joseph and the exile that ensued. And I, and I see parallels in this too with the life of Yeshua, right? Here the people who were left in Israel were in great darkness. They had just had destruction, but there was, there was a chance at renewal if they would just put aside baseless hatred, if they could walk in repentance, right? But at the time of Yeshua, they didn't. Instead, Yeshua's brothers betrayed him and killed him, right? And then an exile ensues. But the exile is not the end, right? There is still redemption, and God is calling for repentance with his desire to heal the land, to heal his people, and to bring about righteous, true, and good rule. And where we are right now as a nation, right? It is a tragedy. It's a calamity that we're facing. Because with the mandates, this is not about the health of any people. It's not to preserve life, right? Because people who want to get vaccinated should get vaccinated. People who don't want to get vaccinated should not have to get vaccinated. If this were really about life and death, then we would actually look at the science instead of just talk about science, right? The latest studies out of Israel show that um, the vaccine is not a foolproof thing. It is not going to eradicate COVID from the earth. It's, it's not. It's also stored in animals. Even if every person on the earth were vaccinated and somehow the vaccine kept people from getting it, the virus is still going to be around, okay? But we know vaccines aren't perfect. They have reduced, uh, they have reduced uh, symptoms and things like that, right? So praise God for that. But again, there's the aspect where people need to be able to choose what they want to do. And if it were really about science, then we would have to include one more group in this, which would be those who have natural immunity from having gotten the disease in the first place. It's not just vaccinated and unvaccinated. And that's what the studies are showing, right? Is that the, the uh, protection lasts longer from actually having had the, the virus. But anyway, I'm not trying to say which one is right or wrong. You do what you think is right, what you are convicted of as to what is good for you. But once we get to the point where we say, you must do this in order to be a part of society. You must do this in order to be able to travel, in order to work, to make money, that is a totalitarian government that seeks to destroy life. That's all we've ever seen from totalitarian governments is millions of people dying. This is not about life and death. This is about control. It is about division. It's about hatred. And so the people of God must recognize that and stand for righteousness and truth. Yes. All the while not seeing each other as enemies just because someone wants to get a vaccine and someone doesn't. Yes. Amen. Because that is the baseless hatred that brings destruction. That is the division that causes Ishmael to rise up and kill Gedalia. That is not the enemy. The enemy is the same spirit that has been working throughout all time, this antichrist spirit that has sought to destroy the seed of God, and it is at work in our governmental powers. And we cannot stand for that. It is, and 
Okay, so Revelation 13 speaks about the mark of the beast and about how people will not be able to buy or sell unless they take this mark. This vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Let's be very clear on that. Okay, but I will tell you what, it is conditioning people to think that their right to live and to breathe and to move is given to them by their government as opposed to a right given by God. We need the word of the Lord to bring life into this situation. And that life initially comes with the people of God who will repent, who will not let hatred harbor in their lives, who will not say, oh, I wish ill on the unvaccinated, or I wish ill on the vaccinated. We have to come together in love and stop this dehumanizing that is taking place. And when we see it start to creep into our hearts, we need to repent because we cannot go and say, oh, in my righteousness, I'm going to judge and call down condemnation. Come on. <laughs> we cannot go there. Now, we haven't even gotten to our tour portion. But, but we, we're going there, right? We're still going to go there. Because we need to encounter the one who brings us reconciliation such that we can be ministers of reconciliation ourselves. Because if we don't have that inward transformation, we're not going to bring transformation to others. Okay? So we're in these days of repentance. We've got to get our hearts right. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31. We made it to our portion. Four minutes to spare. <laughs> okay. Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to skip about on the mountains. No, wait, sorry. 120 years old. He's no longer able to come out, to go out and to come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the, and the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and, set, and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall, and you shall put them in possession of it. You shall cause them to inherit it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Right? And then the, the call to be strong and courageous is repeated again later on. In verse 23. But what we see in this passage is the call to be strong and courageous is said three times. Three times. Why would it need to be stated three times? It's because the road ahead was not going to be easy. Right? Instead, the, the leaders and the children of Israel were going to have to find strength and they were going to have to be courageous and go forward and carry out the will of the Lord, knowing that their victory was not in their own strength, but in his strength, right? Because on their own, 
They couldn't conquer the land. God was the one who went before them and he put Joshua, Yoshua, there in charge to bring the people in and Yoshua was the one who was going to cause them to inherit. Right? Within this, of course, we have, we have to see in our current circumstances the victory that we will have, the redemption, the reconciliation that we will have is of the Lord. Right? And so we have to be pressing into him and that brings us to the reading of the Torah every seven years, which we talked about a little bit earlier in verse 9. Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, which is the Shemitah, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he, which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and the children and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So Moses is saying to them that realigning themselves with the word of God to walk in his ways and not to forget, to bring their children into it, that was going to teach the nation the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is what would establish them on their land because they would walk in his ways and he would be able to pour out his blessings upon them. We as the people of God, starting with the body of believers, must turn to God's ways, turn our hearts fully to Him, rend our hearts and not our garments, such that He can begin to bring this restoration. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's Him that we draw strength from. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, through 5 the scripture says, so for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. Right? This is very much tying into what Rachel was talking about earlier. We need to learn prayer. We need to be, learn to war in the spirit because that is where the victory comes. The effective prayer of the righteous man accomplishes much, right? That's where we need to be. We need to be repenting, walking in righteousness, and warring in the Spirit, bringing prayers before the throne such that God would arise from His throne and that He would bring judgment on the rulers of this world. Because the Scripture says that He sits on His throne and He scoffs at the rulers of the nations as they scheme, right? God will hold them to account. And he calls us to partner with him through acts of righteousness and justice and through these prayers. You know, when I was in the, the prayer room earlier, I looked over and I saw on this little plaque, it said, believe when it's beyond reason to believe. You know, and that's, that's a great thing to think of. Believe when it's beyond reason to believe. But what I thought about is like those two words, believe, they aren't the same thing. Now, that sounds kind of funny. It's the same word. It's believe. But it's believe in God when it's beyond reason to believe in the natural. Right? 
That's, those are two totally different things. Belief in God versus belief in the natural. There's one is the trust in God, the other is trust in man, right? And the fear of the Lord is belief in God. So even though, like when the, when the remnant of Judah was there in the land and they're like, well, we're just the poor people, we don't have our army, you know, all the warriors have been killed, and we've got the king of Babylon, we've got the Chaldeans, we've got threats on every side, what should we do? God says, stay here, I will be your shield, I will be your defense, walk before me in righteousness, and I will give you favor such that you, you know, yeah, things will happen that you don't even understand can't, could happen. But don't flee. Believe in me. Don't believe in man. Don't believe in Egypt. Believe in God's ability to provide. And within all this, it harkens back to what we sp spoke about at the beginning. We can believe in God because we have assurance that God's purpose will prevail and will stand. Right? The name of the Messiah was established before the creation of the earth. He's ruling and reigning from heaven, and one day will return and rule and reign from this earth. In the meantime, we seek to have his kingdom flourish in our midst, such that life may be proclaimed over us, over the body of believers, over our nation. And we believe that in God all things are possible. Right? Things really can change. But, he, but God calls people to come along with Him, to walk with Him, to stand united in love. And we can do it. So, amen. Um, let's pray. Lord, we bless You and we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You, Lord, that You are sovereign over all creation. Lord, even though things may be crazy down here, you have not relinquished control or authority. You are still on the throne. Lord, we cry out to you that in these days of repentance, that we would rend our hearts and not our garments, that we would turn to you, that we would re reconcile brother to brother and reconcile with you, Lord. We thank you that we have that through Yeshua, our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. And we ask you to strengthen us, Lord. If affliction must come, Lord, we pray that affliction would bring us to trust more and more in you, that we would walk more and more in your righteousness, that we would hide ourselves in you and that you would shelter us in your tabernacle and set our feet high upon a rock. Lord, we believe that we will see your goodness in the land of the living, and we will wait for you, Lord. We will hope. In that word, wait, we will hope, we will expect in you, Lord, because we know you are slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. We love you. We bless you. We ask you to go before us. We ask you to heal our land. We ask you to bring re restoration within this nation, a revival, a renewal, all for your glory and the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. 
check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.